welcome back to Geeking with Destination Venus. Yes, it's me. I'm actually here. Yes, thank you for asking. I had an absolutely fantastic couple of weeks in Scotland. Uh, my whole plan of getting some reruns properly re-edited and reintroduced and stuff didn't quite come off. I, uh, I'll be honest, I ran out of time and I thought it's not a problem. They have the internet in Scotland. I will take all the kit with me and I'll, you know, just knock up a couple of intros and stuff. It'll be fine. And then where we were, we really didn't have enough bandwidth to do anything of the kind. I, I, I did have time to re-edit things. I just would never have got it uploaded. So I want to make a big thank you shout out to Andy Backhouse, who has once again pulled our fat out of the fire and who organised making sure that there wasn't an hour of dead space in all of our slots over the last couple of weeks. It's entirely down to him. It's got nothing to do with me. Uh, so thank you, Andy. You are a legend. And now I find myself in something of a happy quandary because I still only got an hour, but I've got three weeks worth of stuff to talk to you about. So I am going to have to skip over a few things. I am going to have to cut a few things short, but we do still have a lot to get over in the next hour. So without any further ado, we need to talk about... Because, of course, I go away for two weeks and everything happens at once. And first up, some good news. Because if you're listening to this, we're not dead. Which means that the massive asteroid that is hurtling towards the Earth as I currently record this didn't hit us. Now, I sound quite calm as I'm recording this, as this chunk of rock, about twice the size of the Empire State Building, comes careening towards us through the blackness of space, simply because, although it's doing about 23,500 miles per hour, it's going to skim past. It is, though, going to come into Earth orbit. It's actually going to be, you know, under the influence of Earth gravity, which is awfully close. And the only reason it won't be captured by the Earth's gravity is that it is going too fast. So, as always with these stories about space rocks, I want to highlight two of my geeky obsessions. The first is that it is a really good job that we've got a massive amount of telescopes pointing at the sky, because without them, we would never see these things coming. And one of these days, we're going to see one of these things coming that we're not sure is going to miss. And it would be really useful to see that with a little bit of notice. That's the first thing. Second thing, let's say we do see one of these things coming. What do we do about it? We need to have something in place that can deal with this kind of extinction level threat. Because that's what we're talking about. I, I don't want to alarm anybody, but the dinosaurs aren't around anymore, apart from the birds. But, you know, most of the dinosaurs not around anymore. And the reason they're not is because the Earth got hit by an asteroid. And the resulting climate change wiped them out. It wasn't instant or die on the same day or nothing, but that's what triggered it. And it could, no, no, I was going to say it could happen again. It will happen again. And you know what? I'd rather it didn't, if that's all the same to everybody else. I, I appreciate there are probably some subspecies of something that are just itching for all the mammals to get wiped out so that they can take over our evolutionary niche. But I quite like our evolutionary niche. So we need to have something in place that can actually give us a fighting chance if we see one of these massive things hurtling towards us in the future. Well, fortunately, there are a couple of ideas being kicked about and one actual proof of concept test. I've spoken about the DART mission before. This is basically a, a mission which is more or less, I've, last time I talked about this, I described it as NASA punching an asteroid. That's basically what they're doing to see if they can deflect its orbit just enough. Because, you know, you see these things coming with enough notice and you don't need to move them much to mean that they're quite a long way away by the time they get close enough to be a threat. That mission is underway right now, and we are expecting that there will be some news to report about that in the next few weeks. So, you know, fingers crossed. In the meantime, keep watching this, guys. Speaking of which, it really wouldn't be an edition of Geeking with Destination Venus if Elon Musk didn't crop up at least once. Well, this week is going to crop up at least twice, and... Um, 
Well, basically, he's cropping up in the space section because it may be that he's going to probe Uranus. I'm so sorry. I Look, it is the funniest planet in the solar system. I cannot help it. In my head, I am nine. This is actually quite a serious story. And of course, it's not Elon Musk. It's SpaceX that will be involved in this project if, if it goes ahead. This actually is, is the um, National Academies of Sciences, Engineering and Medicine in the US who really want SpaceX to get involved in the Uranus Orbiter and Probe. And yes, I'm going to the American pronunciation for the rest of this segment. The Uranus Orbiter and Probe. Um, it's not a new mission. The UOP, because uh, that's a little an acronym, has been underway, being worked on by a team of scientists from NASA, from uh, University of California and Johns Hopkins University. And they want to get some instrumentation to the planet Uranus. Problem with that is that Uranus is a long way and NASA really doesn't have the lift capacity. SpaceX, however, does. The researchers now feel that with the Falcon Heavy rocket, they have the technology to get the instrumentation they want to get out there, out there. Now, if they can get this thing off the ground, the possibilities are in fact really quite exciting because we know almost nothing about Uranus. We've only been there once. NASA's Voyager 2 probe did a flyby in 1986 and sent back a couple of pictures. But there was not really very much viable information in that at all. So we need something to tell us some of the secrets about this wonderfully blue ice giant. And only the Uranus orbiter and probe is on the table to give us any information about the planet at all. And it looks as though the Falcon Heavy is the only launch vehicle that's up to it. So essentially, we need Elon Musk to be thinking a little bit further than Mars. So I don't know, it's always difficult to tell with SpaceX. They are so completely controlled by Elon Musk that if he isn't interested, it's not going to happen. So I don't know, maybe you should tweet more about that later. Now, I can assure you there is an awful lot more space to talk about, but we have limited time. So some other stuff that we've missed over the last couple of weeks might sneak its way into future episodes. But for now, we're going to wrap up space. But we are going to stay with everybody's favourite Bond villain, Elon Musk, because he's in the news again. Well, isn't he your? Can you really say that Elon Musk is in the news again? He's kind of always in the news. Anyway, you will have heard by now that Musk has agreed with the board of Twitter that he will pay them 46 billion with a B dollars and he will then take over as the sole owner of Twitter. Now, lots of people are up in arms about this and I know people who are already leaving Twitter because they don't want to be ruled by Musk. It is also the case that some people who have, how shall we put this, less mainstream ideologies, let's label there, have started to tweet out stuff that has previously been banned under Twitter's terms and conditions, you know, hate speech, misogyny, um, misinformation, all that kind of stuff. I mean, not that you can't find that stuff in abundance on Twitter anyway, but people are starting to push the envelope. And some of them are quite surprised to find Twitter pushing back and taking the content down and blocking people and doing all... because everyone's acting like this is a done deal and it isn't. Twitter is not currently a private company. It has shareholders. So while the board has agreed a sale for 46 billion with a B, and we'll come to that figure, dollars, the shareholders haven't voted yet. They could possibly vote no. I don't think they will. I think they'll take the money and run, but that's not the point. Also, Twitter exists in a regulated environment. It may well be that competition authorities want to have a look at this, and other authorities might want to have a look at this, and say, you know, most fit and proper person to be, you know, many countries have many rules, and 
there are a lot of hoops for Elon Musk to jump through before he can actually take control of Twitter. And even when he does, he's not going to be spending every day running the thing. The people who are currently running Twitter will probably still be running Twitter. So we will see. I mean, Musk has said that he wants Twitter to be a kind of paragon of free speech. What he hasn't done is specify what he means by that. He has said that Twitter will remain within the laws of the various countries in which it operates, which means it won't have free speech because no country has unregulated free speech. So I don't know. We'll see. For what it's worth, I don't. Well, actually, this isn't. I was about to say I don't have a personal Twitter account. I actually do, but I haven't used it for well over a decade and a half because I can't remember the password. Sad, but true. Obviously, the shop Destination Venus has a Twitter account, and I'm not a fan of Twitter, to be honest. It is a useful forum. Uh, That's where I contact most of the artists and writers and comics creators that I work with in a professional capacity. I do some promotion for the shop on there. That's basically it. That's all I use Twitter for. And, you know, if you venture into the comments and the threads and the responses, it very quickly becomes a dumpster fire. So, you know, I mean, is Twitter perfect now? Heck no. So I'm holding fire. Clearly, if everybody abandons Twitter, there will be no point being there. But for now, I shall keep my powder dry and see what happens. But having said that, I'm very interested to hear from people who are already active on other social networks that might perhaps step into the void if Twitter is deleted by everybody. So if you are using uh, something like Mastodon or any of the others, I'd be interested. Info at destinationvenus.co.uk. How are you finding it? What's it like? Are there any you would recommend? Are there any you would recommend we still well clear of? Um, I'm genuinely interested to know. So if you have any thoughts, do let me know. And since we appear to be drifting into geeky tech news, let's stay with Elon Musk, because it really does seem that, honestly, everything at the moment is revolving around Elon Musk, which is a terrifying thought. Almost as terrifying, perhaps, as the self-driving cars that his company Tesla is still keen to push into full production. Now, I have no objection in principle to the idea of a self-driving car. It's just that I really don't think the technology's there yet. We're nearly there, I think, but we're not there. Uh, And this is illustrated beautifully, and there is a video of this in the show notes. Somebody got their Tesla onto self-driving mode, or actually it was summon mode, so they were not in the car. They were at a location. Their car was at a different location. And there is a function on some Teslas where you can have the car come to you, which I totally appreciate the convenience of that. There have been times when it would have been really handy if I could have driven my car to work and then had my car drive itself home and then drive itself back to pick me up at the end of the day. That would be fantastic because parking in Harrogate is a nightmare. I wouldn't actually want to do that right now because I'm not confident I would have a car that would competently perform that function without hitting anything. And that's what's happened here. Somebody summoned their Tesla. It drove across an airport. I presume it was parked at the aforementioned airport. uh, And it drove itself into $2 million worth of jet. It's unclear from the reporting exactly how much damage to the jet was done, or indeed how much damage was done to the car. It looks from the video that I've seen, and again, that's in the show notes, that it was a fairly low-speed impact. It probably didn't do that much damage, but planes are fragile. And, you know, there are going to be some costs involved. And then you have another question. If you have a self-driving car and it hits something and causes damage, who's liable? Is it the person who owns the car? Is it the person who summoned the car? Is it the car itself? And how on earth does one enforce that? Or is it the company that developed the self-driving system who are liable because they produce a system that didn't work properly? I don't know. I mean, I'm throwing these questions out. I I don't know and I don't have a legal opinion to give. I, I just think they are questions that people are going to fight over. And I think that, therefore, we should probably clear up those little legal niceties before we go all gung ho 
into having vehicles that drive themselves. And this, in, in many ways, is one of the big problems I have with Musk. He's very good at having ideas, and he's very good at giving publicity to things that people have invented that he can then tag himself onto. People have this idea that Musk is a genius engineer. He's not. Um, he's less of a genius engineer than Steve Jobs, who also actually sort of pioneered this trick of glomming onto things that other people had created and sort of claiming they were his, or at least Apple's. I mean, most of the things that people think Apple invented, Apple did not. It's technology that Apple either bought or copied. And, you know, I'm not bragging on Apple particularly. In many cases, they improved that technology and made it work and made it affordable. So, you know, I'm not bragging on Apple any more particularly than I'm ragging on Musk on this occasion. My issue with Musk isn't that he has these concepts out there and that his companies are building these things. It's that he keeps talking about them like they're finished. And clearly they're not. And the market seems to know this. I mean, Tesla isn't making money at the moment. Uh, nor is SpaceX. SpaceX exists only because NASA gives it lots of funding. And although Musk is the richest man in the world on many metrics, he's not that rich, actually, in terms of stuff he's actually got. Most of it isn't his. It belongs to his companies. So we also come back to the $46 billion he's paying for Twitter. He hasn't got $46 billion of his own to spend. And he's trying to buy a company that hasn't made a profit yet. So if he's going to have to go to look for finance, I'm wondering where he's going to get it and what he might have to leverage if he's determined to get that finance. One of the things about being a geek is you do tend to obsess about detail. And this is a detail that fascinates me. I wonder how far Musk is prepared to go with Twitter, because it may cost him Tesla or SpaceX, or a significant chunk of one or both of those, if he's going to actually pay the money that he's saying he's going to pay. It's going to be fascinating to watch, I think. Genuinely fascinating. So don't just keep watching the stats, guys. Keep watching Elon Musk. But enough, 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 enough. Let's leave the tech news behind and just get onto some general geeky news and TV. And first up, before the, the little break that I just had, I said I had discovered that all the seasons of Supernatural were now available on Amazon Prime. And I'd started watching season one. Well, while I was away, I was in a place where television was not an option. And indeed, nor was internet. So I took the precaution of utilising Amazon's download function, which I didn't know they had, actually, until I thought about it just before we went away. And I downloaded the full first season of Supernatural to my phone and watched it while I was away. It's really good. I, I'd watched a few of the episodes of season one before I went away. I'd spoken about how much I was enjoying it, uh, how it far surpassed the shows which clearly influenced it, uh, namely Buffy and The X-Files. And do you know what? It just keeps getting better. It just does. So I'm stuck well into season two now, and I just have to repeat the recommendation I've already made. If you have not seen Supernatural and you have Amazon Prime, you would be foolish not to check it out. It really is the absolute business. If you liked The X-Files, if you liked Buffy, if you liked Charmed, if you liked any of that stuff, you're going to love this. And... While we're on the subject, I am going to slide back into Disney Plus just for a second and mention Moon Knight. I'm not going to do a full review of Moon Knight until the whole season is done. But again, wow, how good is Oscar Isaacs? Seriously. I mean, he he's knocking it out of the park. The only person I have seen do two different characters at the same time, better, is Tatiana Maslany, uh, who, again, will be coming to Disney Plus soon as She-Hulk. Um, and obviously, she did it to the nth degree in Orphan Black, but Oscar Isaacs really pulls it off, particularly in later scenes where, mild spoilers, both Stephen and Mark are together on screen. 
It's beautifully done. Some of the CGI, I think, is a little clunky. It's definitely CGI on a TV, not a movie budget. But <sighs> kind of have to let it slide. I really do. The quality of the storytelling, I think, has been great. The sincerity of the villain, I think, has been done extremely well. He's a completely insane bad guy, but it's played not as a cackling maniac, but as a person who calmly believes themselves to be reasonable and who sincerely believes that everyone who stands in their way is wrong. In many ways, he's like Thanos in that respect, um, but quieter and more considered. He's a very cerebral kind of character, and I, I'm loving the way it's done. So, as I've said before, if you don't have Disney+, Plus, uh, I am not suggesting you take out Disney+. Plus. This is not a paid endorsement. However, if you don't have Disney+, Plus, but you have a mate who does, can I recommend you go around their house and suggest a watch party for Moon Knight? Because you really will enjoy it. I really do think you will. If you like anything from the Marvel Universe, I think you'll like this. And it's something a little bit different. There's a little bit of a different tone and approach to Moon Knight that we haven't really seen in the MCU before. He's a character we haven't seen in the MCU before. He's the first character that's been introduced in his own show as the star of that show without having been trailed in something else first. Given that in the comics, Moon Knight is a C-list character at best. That's a bold move by Marvel Studios, and I applaud it. But I'll leave the TV shenanigans there, because um, I haven't watched much TV apart from that. Since I came back, all I've really watched is Moon Knight. And a lot of the Marvel stuff that I'm looking forward to isn't out yet. Uh, so, we just now wait for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness which will be introducing, I hope, a whole horde of new characters into the MCU. Um, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. I was talking to somebody in the cinema yesterday who was concerned that Moon uh, Doctor Strange might actually not be a terribly good film because they've overloaded it with characters. And I can see the concern. I mean, that has been a problem in uh, Marvel movies in the past. Spider-Man 3, I'm looking at you. I don't know. This current iteration of Marvel Studios, though, I think I trust them. They pulled off Endgame, and if they manage that, then I don't see how Multiverse of Madness is going to be too big a stretch. But we'll see. But now, I think, we need to have a little look at what's been going on in comics while I've been away. Well, the first thing that I have to say is that it's never too early to talk about Thought Bubble. That's not actually happening until the second weekend in November, but organising a festival as big and as broad as Thought Bubble is a full-year occupation, and there's always something happening. What happened while I was away was that the announcements were made as to who was going to be able to exhibit. All the people who asked if they could have a table, all the writers, the artists, the publishers, the retailers, everybody got to know in the last couple of weeks, whether they were in or whether they were unlucky this year. I'm pleased to say that Destination Venus will be there. We will be exhibiting at Thought Bubble 2022 alongside a whole host of brilliant people and, sadly, not alongside a whole host of other brilliant people who just could not be squeezed in. I know that the Thought Bubble team curates everything very, very carefully and anyone who's missed out probably hasn't missed out because they're not good enough. They simply missed out because this year wasn't their year. I know how much the team agonise over all of this. Uh, they've also announced some of their guests, some of the headliners. You know, as ever, I don't know how many of the names will be recognisable to people who aren't massive comics geeks, but people who are coming uh, include, and uh, the real headliner for me is Gail Simone, who, if you don't follow Gail on Twitter, please do. Um, just look her up. She's huge, huge, hugely funny on Twitter uh, and just loves to wind people up. It's great. Uh, Gail Simone is perhaps best known for her work on Batgirl, which she wrote for quite a long time. And for my money, wrote one of the best runs of Batgirl. Uh, but I mean, there are very few characters she hasn't written. 
Um, there are people who credit her with um, saving Deadpool. Uh, Deadpool was not a popular character for quite a long time. And Gail Simone's writing was one of the things that turned things around, I would argue. Um, also coming is uh, Magdalene Visaggio, who has been to football before when it was in Leeds. She is a very interesting writer. Um, I wouldn't. Hmm, what, would, what would Mags be best known for? Perhaps the most recent thing she did was the Ginny Hex one shot. My favourite thing of hers that she wrote was either the miniseries Eternity Girl, which deals with the despair of not being able to die, and a Dazzler one shot she did for Marvel, uh, which kind of kind of played the, the 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 treatment of mutants has been used as a metaphor for many things and what what Visaggio did was write a story that involved conflict between the mutants that's like the x-men type people and the inhumans who are not mutants but who do have bizarre superpowers for different reasons and she played the conflict between those two communities in a, in a way that was a metaphor, I felt, for friction between the gay and trans communities. And it, it was very subtle. It wasn't in your face at all. But it was certainly very thought-provoking and, what's much more important, beautifully written. Mags is a sublime writer. Um, also coming, we have David Ager, who you probably haven't heard of. But he is responsible for the visual design of the opening sequence of Marvel's Hawkeye TV show. Um, you won't have seen his name on the credits because they didn't credit him. But that those opening credits were very, very similar, by which I mean identical in style, to the artwork that Aja provided for the Matt Fraction run of Hawkeye, which the show drew quite heavily from. So uh, he's coming. Um, I think he's keener probably now to promote his creator-owned work, uh, in particular a, a bizarre but brilliant book called Seeds, which I heartily, heartily recommend. Uh, Christian Ward is also coming. Um, he is a creator, an all-round creator, really. Uh, and I'll be talking about one of his books in a couple of seconds, because... Um, Issue one of his Bloodstained Teeth, a vampire story, surprisingly, given the title, is out this week. Um, and also, from the writing side of things, G. Willow Wilson is coming. Uh, like Simone, she was supposed to be here in 2020, but, you know, 2020 happened. But she's coming now. Wilson is interesting. She is a fabulous writer. Um, I've followed her career since the late 90s, probably. She is one of the co-creators of the current Ms. Marvel, uh, Kamal Khan, who obviously is getting her own TV show on the fairly now ubiquitous Disney+. Plus. Uh, so I'm fascinated to meet her. I'm really looking forward to that. And I'm really keen to meet Gail Simone. Those are, I think those are probably my two most important people I want to get to see. Uh, I've met Madeleine Bazzaggio before. Uh, and I, I guess I guess I'm more writer focused than artist focused. Uh, that's, that's just me. I'm a story guy. Um, tickets for Thought Bubble are on sale now. You probably don't need to buy them yet, but it's nice to know you can. You're definitely going though, isn't it? Um, they're currently only available online. Uh, we have sold them through the shop before. They've not asked us to, to sell them through the shop this time. And to be honest, it's probably easier to go go direct in any case. Uh, so. A full weekend pass is £29 plus a £1 booking fee. If you only want to go on one day, either the Saturday or the Sunday, uh, tickets for either of those days are £18 plus a £1 booking fee. So obviously it is better value to go for both days. And trust me, there will be enough to see. But I do understand you um, might not have the whole weekend free. Um, if you are an under 12 person who is going with an accompanying paying adult you can have a free ticket 
Uh, and if you're over 65, you can also have a free ticket, although ID may be required. Uh, and if you are a carer or a support worker for somebody who is attending and who needs a, care work, a carer or a support worker with them, you can also have a free ticket, um, although the person who needs your care and support will need to be a paying ticket holder. Um, even though those are free tickets, you do still need to book them because obviously we have to control numbers for these kinds of events now. Um, if you are going in cosplay, it's actually slightly cheaper. Uh, you can get a weekend pass if you turn up in cosplay for £27, and a single day pass is £16. And again, um, you do have to turn up in cosplay for that pass to work, and you do still have to pay the £1 booking fee. If you want to be a friend of Thought Bubble, uh, that's £85 for a full year. It's £150 for two years, £220 for three years. And um, if you are overseas, and I know some of the people listening to this, um, and you'll need your Friends of Thought Bubble benefit bonus stuff shipping out to you, that's going to cost you only 25 quid. Um, I should say at this point, Thought Bubble is a non-profit organisation, and any surplus money that's remaining once all of their bills are paid goes to charities up to and include, I don't think it's exclusively Bernardo's anymore, uh, but certainly Bernardo's has always been one of their main beneficiaries. So that's Thought Bubble coming up. It's all very exciting. I cannot wait. Uh, the 2021 Thought Bubble was one of the happiest weekends of my entire life because there was just so much positivity in the air. Everybody was so happy to be back, so positive. It was just, it was just a brilliant weekend. And the thing about Thought Bubble, and I've been to most, I haven't been to all of them, I've been to most of them. Every single year they managed to make it better than the year before, even though the year before was, has always been the best Thought Bubble ever. So it's all very positive, is what I'm saying. Put the dates in your diary now, because you do not want to miss it. Um, and having said that, I've just realised I am not looking at where the dates are right now. Bear with me. I'm actually doing this on the fly because I'm massively professional like that. Thought Bubble is the 12th and 13th of November in the Harrogate Con Convention Centre. It is actually the whole preceding week in various venues around Yorkshire uh, because it's more than just a convention. It's a festival running from the 7th to the 13th of November. Um, Check out their website, which is thoughtbubblefestival.com slash festival to find out what's going on. I'm looking as I record this at the website. There are not any details of festival events yet, but they will be coming over the next couple of months, I would have thought. So also, if you happen to be listening on a device that's that's handy, bookmark thoughtbubblefestival.com and uh, keep yourself up to date. Right, that's Thought Bubble. What about actual comics that you can actually buy and actually read from comic shops right now? Well, what with being away for a couple of weeks, I've missed a few. So not everything is new this week. Some of these things that I want to talk about now have been out for a week or even two, but they're still very, very well deserving of your attention. So um, we're going to start with a horror title. I, I've never been a horror guy, but I'm not quite sure whether I've changed or the nature of horror comics has changed or whether horror comics have just got better than they used to be. But there's a lot of horror stuff that I really like now. And uh, that list keeps getting longer. And it's been added to by a town called Terror. Now, this is co-created by yeah, writer Steve Niles and artist uh, Simon Kudrensky, I think is how you're supposed to pronounce that. Uh, apologies again for butchering people's names. Um, letters by Scott O'Brown um, and Marshall Dillon. Oh, how to explain what this is about. Basically, we start with a brutal, brutal kidnapping 
uh, a guy called Henry West is kidnapped in the middle of the night uh, in before his wife's terrified eyes. Henry wakes up in a very strange and frightening place indeed, while Julie, who has no evidence that a crime has ever taken place, is unable to get anyone to search for him. And the story, I presume, because obviously we've only got issue one right now, is uh, going to be her search for him. Uh, Steve Niles, if the name is not familiar to you, is the writer behind 30 Days of Night, which I should remind you was an excellent comic before it was a mediocre movie. Um, Simon Kudransky, uh, you may have seen his work on Spawn or on The Punisher. I think he's probably best known for those two projects. I really like this. It's very tense. Um, it's very dark. And I mean that in terms both of subject matter and also the art style. The, the, there's not a lot of colour in this pa in this palette. It's not a black and white comic. Uh, it's a full colour comic. It's just most of those colours are grey <laughs> because everything takes place at night. Um, and there's not a lot of light sources about. But the use of light in this very dark art is sublime. It really is just excellently, excellently done. Um, I've always been an uh, admirer of uh, Kudransky's work, and this is no exception. Uh, so that's out now. It was out on April the 13th, in fact. Uh, it's 3.50 from Image, and we certainly still have it in stock at Destie's. I would imagine that the comic shop of your choice probably also still has it. If it doesn't, we still do. Give us a call. Um, moving on, I think the next thing I want to talk about is very different, very different in tone. It's um, Breakout from Dark Horse Comics. Uh, this is a science fiction adventure. Um, it's been out again since April the 13th. And basically what happens is massive spaceships, huge cubes from maybe another dimension, appear over the cities of the world and just routinely abduct teenagers to be held as prisoners. The character Liam Watts' younger brother is taken by these creatures. But while governments and adults generally across the world just kind of accept that the loss is inevitable and there's nothing they can do about it. Liam decides he's going to do something about it. So he puts together some friends, a team of regular high school kids to risk it all and pull off an out of the world prison break. This is, again, just huge fun. It's actually very positive. And uh, it's... It doesn't sound like the most interesting, most innovative sci-fi premise in the world, but trust me, it is. It's it's not really like anything you've come across before, I don't think. Um, it's written by uh, Zach Kaplan, who most recently wrote uh, a series called Port of Earth and uh, a series called Join the Future, both of which were very skillfully done sci-fi um Epic is the wrong word, but sci-fi sagas, perhaps. Uh, they were certainly very thought-provoking, very thoughtful. And I actually considered the question, you know, what happens if and when we make first contact? How do we respond? And what are we likely to be making contact with? And there's very much that vibe here again. Um, the art from uh, Wilton Santos very good, very expressive. You, know, you get the feeling of, you know, apprehension and almost paranoia that the kids feel. And that comes nicely through the art. Um, there's quite a lot of dynamic stuff, uh, quite a lot of action movement. Uh, it, it's nicely done. The colouring is uh, hugely complimentary. That's by uh, Jason Wordy, who I've been a fan of for a while. Let's buy Jim Campbell. Uh, it's all from Dark Horse, uh, 3.50 again. Um, I have to say, the first issue has me completely, totally gripped. And I don't really see that I need to say more than that. Absolutely recommend it. Uh, and again, already available from the comic store of your choice. And then we had the return 
of an old friend, which I've been waiting for for some time. And that's Farmhand, issue 16 of which finally came out uh, again, April the 13th. Now, if you're not familiar with Farmhand, it's a very, very interesting premise. Essentially, you have a farmer, a guy called Jedediah, who has figured out a way of genetically engineering plants so that they grow human organs. The idea was that this would revolutionise transplant medicine. You know, if you need a new heart, grow one. If you need new kidneys, you grow one. Lose an arm, grow another one. And certainly his motivations were all very good, very honourable. Uh, he is you know, genuinely trying to save the world and improve people's lives. Unfortunately, his work was kind of hijacked and subverted. And there were flaws in his approach. And unsurprisingly, actually, if you think about it, things didn't go completely according to plan. And people who had received Jedediah organs began to experience let's call them botanical side effects. And 15 issues ran for, what, just over a year, and then it stopped. Um, Rob Gilroy, who is the driving force and creator of this story, um, put put the book on hiatus back in March 2020. Um he was thinking maybe six months, maybe seven. He needed a break uh, and he figured he'd come back and, you know, be refreshed in a, a, you know, a few months at most. And then obviously, I mean, that was March 2020. Then the, the entire world stopped. Uh, and, you know, he had stuff to deal with, which he had to put on priority. So he's only just been able to come back to the story of Jedediah Jenkins. Uh, there, he says there are about 10 issues of this left to go. You can kind of pick it up here, and the previous issues are all collected now anyway. It's an, a really interesting story. It examines the nature between uh, of science, the relationship between science and society, what the responsibility of science is and how much we should trust the science. All themes, I think, which are even more relevant now than when the book went on hiatus. It's also visually very interesting. Rob Gilroy has a very interesting, very idiosyncratic art style. It's not quite cartoony and it's not quite realistic, but it really, really works here. So. As I said, I've been a long-time fan of this book. I'm pretty sure that you could just pick up issue 16 and there's enough information in it to bring you up to date without you needing to read the previous 15 issues. Your mileage may vary on that. I mean, I'm saying that knowing what happened in the previous 15 issues. So, you know, there's that. But as I said, in any case, if you decide you want to read the whole thing, the previous 15 issues have all been collected in trade paperback collections so you can easily get hold of the original 15 issues and i really recommend that you do it's a thought-provoking often funny um often quite horrific bride and i think gilroy gets away with a level of horror that he perhaps wouldn't get away with if he had a different art style so you know again this is something that comics can do uh, they can leaven the horror of some ideas by drawing them in a particular way. Uh, but trust me, you ain't going to look at flowers in the same way again. And then finally, I think, in this section, we have a one-shot, which, if you're not familiar with the jargon, is a comic that just stands on its own. It's not quite big enough to call itself a graphic novel, possibly not even big enough to call itself a graphic novella, although I know that this one is about the same page count as a killing joke, and people will insist on calling that a graphic novel. So, you know, definitions, eh? They're difficult. Uh, this is Midnight Rose uh, from Aftershock Comics, 
um, written by Jim Starlin, uh, with art by Nicole Yelenik, uh, colours by DC Alonso, and letters by Dave Sharp. It's, oh, again, how do you possibly do this one justice? It's a frightening kind of human tale. Um, a journey through the life of a not quite human creature called Midnight Rose. This is a story of loneliness, of love, and what happens when you simply cannot resist revenge. It's quite a moving book. It's beautifully written, as you would expect. Again, if you are not familiar with the name Jim Stalin, trust me, he is a comics writing god. If you saw the Avengers movies, the Infinity Gauntlet, his idea, um, way, way, way back in the 80s, um, the Infinity War was his idea. Didn't write all of it, but it was his idea. Uh, he's been writing comics forever. He's And he's written everything. He's worked for Marvel. He's worked for DC. He's done his creator own stuff. Uh, I'm really pleased to see somebody of his standing, actually, working through Aftershock, who are one of my favourite small independent companies. And I'm really pleased that a veteran like Stalin can find a home there uh, and that he can have the freedom he deserves there to produce work like this. As I say, it's a profoundly moving story. Um, bits of it not safe for work and you, bits of it you probably don't want to be reading on the bus. It's not particularly graphic, but... It's definitely there. Um, the artwork is beautifully complementary, uh, both in terms of line work and colour, to the story being told. Everything blends together. And you find that you know, in a very few pages, you start to care about these characters. It's very nicely done. Uh, and of course, has the advantage of you don't need to have read anything else before picking this up, and I know that's an issue with some people for multi-part comics. From Aftershock, as I said, it's been out since April the 13th, and uh, that'll hit you for £7.99. Uh, but I should say, you know, it's not a regular comic format, it's a higher page count than a regular comic, it's square bound, it's card covers, it's a... I'm, I'm just going to call it a graphic novel, I'm just going to go right there. And that's that's not that bad for a graphic novel. I am going to point out that the price on the internet, uh, I'm actually looking at a page now, and I'm actually looking at Aftershock's page. So come on, Aftershock, you really need to keep yourself in order here. Aftershock say on their website that it's $4.99. It's not. The price on the back of the, of the cover, and certainly the price I paid for it, is $8.99. And, uh, yeah, be aware of that if you're checking it out online first. Now, there's, oh, God, probably a dozen more comics I'd really like to talk about. But we kind of don't have the space here. So I think what I might do, and don't take this as a promise, but what I might do is actually put together a little special and drop it in one of the re slots that are normally for repeats in the radio show. Uh, and release it as an extra in the podcast feed as well. Because uh, uh, th there are so many that I want to talk about that deserve to be talked about that I won't have time to talk about here. So you know, maybe, I'll, maybe I will do that. Uh, but for now, we're going to wrap the comic segment up just there. And we'll move on to the Geek Community Notice Board. And our first item is kind of short notice because it's this Saturday, the 30th of April. But... I would like to encourage you to try and get along to this if you possibly can, uh, for reasons that are not mine to go into, but it's kind of important, not just to me, but much more important to a friend of mine. Um, the Secret Lair, who I've mentioned here before, uh, are hosting a charity meet and greet with the cast of Troma's Cardinal Monsters movies, Dr. Diff. Nurse Spanks and Nurse Meow will be there 
And you can even have your picture taken for a £5 donation to St Michael's Hospice, who are the beneficiaries of this event. Uh, they're also selling raffle tickets at £1 each with loads of prizes, including some stuff from Destiny's, although they haven't got it yet. I need to chase that up. Um, two months free membership of the Frequent Lair, um, £50 worth of 3D printed goodies. Uh, there's a set of handmade resin dice, uh, soap hamper, drone and cocktail. Uh, uh, there's a drone. Uh, there's a cocktail masterclass for six people and much, much more. All money raised will be going to St. Michael's Hospice, which is an extremely good cause. And, you know, these are the actual people from the Troma movies. Troma is the acme of low budget horror. They are the they are the, the hammer horror of today. And it's kind of kind of a, a coup, a bit of a scoop uh, to get these people into Harrogate in the first place. So if you have an interest in horror, please, please, please get along to that. Uh, the Secret Lair can be found at Unit 4 Hornbeam House. That's in Hornbeam Park, uh, Hookstone Road, Harrogate. Uh, if you're programming them into SatNav, that's HG28QT. Uh, but you can check all the stuff out on their social medias, links in the show notes. Um, and I'll also put a digital copy of their flyer on the uh, show notes as well. As I say, it would be great if you could make it along. I know it's short notice. Uh, or you could just donate some money to St. Michael's Hospice um, because they are an amazing cause, which I encourage you to support. It all kicks off at 7 o'clock on Saturday evening at the Secret Lair, uh, which, as I say, is in Hornbeam Park. Uh, so go along and join in the fun I don't know, horror, fun, not sure they go together, but you know what I mean. And actually, trauma movies are huge, huge fun. So, uh, yeah, get along and enjoy that. Also, one of the other things that happened while I was away is that the, the very fine folk from the Spartan Roller Derby uh, came in and left some flyers on my counter, uh, which obviously I didn't plug on here because I wasn't here. And unfortunately, they were promoting a kind of open session for new skaters, which has already happened. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't get in touch. Uh, so I can encourage you to go to spartownrollerderby.com to find out more about Harrogate's only roller derby team. Um, I've got to say, I actually didn't realise that roller derby was an actually real sport until... Oh, a couple of years ago when Spartan Roller Derby uh, came in to leave some flyers in the old shop, um, I'd assumed it was made up for a comic called Slam, which I very much enjoyed and which I very much encourage you to read, actually. Um, but no, it is a very vibrant, very real sport. Uh, it's huge fun to watch. It is women only. Uh, I don't think there are any male roller derby leagues. I'm sure if any men wanted to start some, they would be allowed. Um the team welcomes skaters from those who are completely experienced, who have been playing roller derby for years, to complete novices who've never even worn a pair of skates before. Uh, they have training training programs for anyone who wants to learn to skate, um, and they you know, those have specific start dates, so um, you can get in touch with them about that. Uh, the team's been around for. 12, uh, since 2012, um, and they play in Tier 4 of the British Championships. So, you know, they're properly in the league and everything. Uh, as I say, for more information, uh, get yourself over to SpartanRollerDerby.com. Uh, you have missed the event that the flyers that they gave us were to promote, but there is always something going on at Spartan. So go over and check them out. Could be the start of a whole new passion in your life. Certainly, I know people who participate in Royal Derby and who love it completely. So check that out if you fancy getting a bit active. And with that, I think all that remains, uh, that I can squeeze in this week at least, is the um, what to look for in the sky segment. Now, while I was away, 
I was hoping to see Aurora Borealis because I was in the very far north, about as far north as you can go. No such luck. Unfortunately, sunspot activity was depressingly light. So no Aurora. And it's not looking good for Aurora, certainly not as far south as Harrogate, which is where I am now, for a while. So that's a shame. What I was reminded of up in Scotland, though, was how much light pollution affects people, even in towns. I mean, Harrogate's definitely not a city. But even here, we have enough light pollution to make quite a lot of the stars in the sky impossible to see. Um, just walking outside and looking up in the highlands over the last couple of weeks when it's been a clear night. And there were a surprising number of clear light, clear nights. They have clear nights in the highlands. Who knew? The, 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 a properly dark night sky is a thing of utter, utter beauty. And my first astro astronomical recommendation this week is go and find one and have a look. Um, your nearest accredited dark sky site, if you are in Harrogate or Yorkshire, is actually up at uh, the Kielder Forest in Northumbria, where they have an observatory and everything. So I recommend you do that if you have the time. Obviously, you do need to get a clear night. If you're just a casual observer, I'm afraid all the action is still in the early morning, um, in the pre-dawn and just at dawn. Uh, there is still a great display of planets right on the lower eastern horizon. You've got Mars looking a bit ready. You've got Jupiter. You've got Saturn, which looks quite yellow. Uh, and you should have a very bright Venus in there still as well. It's annoying that this display is still, after all these weeks, in the pre-dawn. It's not going to get to the evening for a while, but... Probably by the time it does, it, it'll be darker sooner and nighttime astronomy won't involve staying up until the middle of the night. So we can all look forward to that. But if you are up and about in the pre-dawn, I really do encourage you, even with the naked eye, to go and check those planets out. You can see them with the naked eye. They just look like dots. You should be able to make out the colours, though. If you have even a moderately decent pair of binoculars, you should be able to resolve them into actually planetary disks, maybe see the phases of them, um, and really good binoculars or a decent small telescope will show you uh, the four Galilean moons of Jupiter, assuming they're not behind Jupiter when you look, which appear as beautifully bright points of pure white light against the sort of stripy disk of Jupiter. Uh, you should be able to resolve the rings of Saturn as well which are always worth seeing because they really are one of the wonders of the solar system. So all of that on a plate for you right now. So do check it out if you happen to be up that early. Me? I'm afraid I'm really lazy and I've seen it before. So um, I might be staying in bed. And so we'll leave it there. Once again, huge thanks to Andy Backhouse for um, minding the store on the radio show while I was away. Uh, apologies to our podcast listeners who um, simply didn't get anything. The feed's been dead for two weeks. So thank you for sticking with us and not unsubscribing. I keep promising it won't happen again. I promise you, every time I promise you that, I, I do mean it. Circumstances do just sometimes get ahead of us. Um, we're a one-man show, and sometimes that just isn't the time. I, uh, I want to just give a, a, a proper shout-out to thank Alice. Also, uh, who is our long-suffering staff member at Destination Venus. Alice actually stepped in uh, and started working at Destes last October when uh, I was largely absent dealing with a an urgent family matter. And so she got, but she basically got about an hour's, an hour's training. And with one thing and another, she's literally scarcely seen me since. So um, she has worked diligently to keep Destis open when I've not been able to be there. And I appreciate it very, very much. So thank you, Alice. And thank you, listeners, for your patience and for your attention. We will see you next week with more of all of this stuff. Until then, be kind to yourself. Be kind to everybody else. Stay safe. And above all else, stay geeky.